Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. Thank you kindly, uh, Jeff, for, for your, your warm words. We don't have much time, so let's just uh, bow our heads and uh, commit this into the Lord's hands. Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful for the opportunity of gathering at a, a time such as this. I pray for every single person that's gathered here, oh God. Would you anoint them fresh, afresh? Would you bless their homes? Would you bless their lives? Would, they, would you give them a keenness? to know you, to love you, and to cherish what you have to offer for them. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, <clears throat> the uh, little vignette uh, that you're going to see from uh, uh, YouTube is one of um, the past the present and the future. In other words, when I look at scripture, I, I don't only just look at it as this is the past or this is the present, but I also look at the futuristic aspect of things. And so this little vignette is about uh, Deuteronomy. I know you've gone through different uh, chapters, but I wanted to give you a sort of kaleidoscope experience in terms of a reminder, as in the past, of some of the things that you may have uh, captured or perhaps missed and what you're going to learn today in terms of Deuteronomy 20, uh, and then the whole of this week, we're going up to 28, and then possibly beyond that, um, what to expect. So, so at least if you can just uh, turn on the, uh, the vignette there, that would be wonderful. And as um, Lisa sort of uh, looks at that, um, and before it comes on, this is uh, a little video clip that is intended to, um, it was part of the Bible project, intended to teach people about uh, scripture, um, summarized scripture that is. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible and the final book of the Torah. After the exodus from Egypt, Israel was at Mount Sinai for one year entering into a covenant with their God. And then they had the disastrous road trip through the wilderness and the exodus generation disqualified themselves from entering into the land promised to Abraham. And so Deuteronomy begins with Moses standing in front of this new generation explaining the Torah. And it's from here that the design and purpose of the book unfolds. Deuteronomy is a series of speeches from Moses where he's calling the next generation of Israel to be faithful to the covenant with their God. At the center of the book is a collection of laws, which are the terms of the covenant between God and Israel. Some of the laws are new, but many are repeated from the laws given earlier at Mount Sinai. And that's actually where this book gets its name, from a Greek word deuteronomion, which means a second law. Now surrounding these laws are two outer sections of Moses' speech. Each of these are broken up into two parts themselves. Let's just dive in and we'll see how this whole thing works. 
So Moses first of all summarizes the story so far and he highlights how rebellious the previous generation was in contrast with God's constant grace and provision in the wilderness. And God did bring his justice on them, yes, but he did not abandon his covenant promises. After this comes a series of very passionate sermons where Moses calls on this new generation to be more faithful than their parents were to the covenant. He reminds them of the Ten Commandments and then the centerpiece of this section is a famous line called the Shema. Moses says, listen Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. This became a very important daily prayer in Judaism and it brings all of the themes of the book together. So the word listen, or shema in Hebrew, it means much more than just to hear. Its meaning includes responding to what you hear, or in English we would say obey. And the word love in Hebrew also means much more than just an emotion or feeling. It's about a decision of wholehearted devotion to God that involves your will and your emotions, your mind and your heart. Now for Israel, their obedience and devotion to God served a much larger purpose. Obedience to the laws is going to make Israel a unique people among the nations. Just like God said at Mount Sinai, they will become a kingdom of priests. And Moses now says, how? Israel has the chance by following the laws to show the whole world the wisdom and the justice of God. The other key idea in the Shema is that Israel was called to obey and be devoted to the Lord alone, or literally in Hebrew it says the Lord is one. Now in context, the point is that the Lord is the one God Israel is to worship and obey. Israel is about to go into the land of Canaan where people worship idol gods that represent all different aspects of creation, the sun, the weather, sex, and war. And in Moses' view, worshiping these gods degrades humans and destroys communities. But worshiping the God of Israel, who's the creator and the redeemer, that will lead to life and blessing. And so we come to the large collection of laws at the center of the book. And they're roughly arranged by topic. So the opening section is about Israel's worship of their God. They were to have one central temple where one God would be worshipped. And also God was to be worshipped in Israel's care for its poor. So for example, all Israelites were to set aside one-tenth of their annual income to be given to the temple. But another tenth was to be set aside every three years and given to the poor. And these are the kinds of laws that put Israel on the cutting edge of justice in comparison to their ancient neighbors. And it was all bound up with their worship of God. The next section outlines the character qualities of Israel's leaders. So the elders, the priests, the kings, these were all placed under the authority of the covenant laws, which God said that he would enforce by sending prophets to keep the leaders accountable. So in contrast to Israel's neighbors, where kings were thought of as divine and a law unto themselves, Israel's leaders were subordinate to the law and the prophets. Following this is a large section of laws about Israel's civil life, so rules about marriage and family and business, and also about social justice, about their legal system and how it was to protect widows and orphans and immigrants. And then these are concluded by more laws about worship. Now, here's some tips for reading all of these laws. Remember, first of all, these are the terms of the Sinai Covenant given specifically to ancient Israel, living in a culture that's very different from yours. And so too, it's not going to be helpful to compare these laws with modern laws from a very different culture. Rather, these were given to set Israel apart. And so we need to compare these laws with those of Israel's neighbors, like in Assyria or Babylon. And when you do that, all of a sudden, laws that seemed harsh or bizarre become much more clear. You see that God is pushing Israel to a higher level of justice than was ever known before. 
And so finally, try to discern what core principles of wisdom or justice underlie any particular law, and you'll discover some really profound things. So here's an extra credit assignment. Go see how Paul the Apostle does this very thing in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 9, and he quotes a law from Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 4. It's really interesting. So back to Moses. After he goes through all of the law, he issues a final challenge that Israel should listen to and love their God. He first issues a warning and an ultimatum. If Israel listens to and obeys their God, everything's going to go great, lots of divine blessing. But if they don't listen and rebel, famine, plague, devastation, and ultimately exile from the land. And then Moses forces a decision. He says, today I set before you all life or death, blessing or curse, goodness or evil. So choose life by loving the Lord your God and listening to him. But then Moses says this. He says, I know that after I die, you're going to rebel and turn away from God and end up in exile, which is kind of a downer. But then again, he's been with these people for decades and it becomes clear that his hopes are not very high. But all is not lost, Moses says. One day, when Israel is sitting in exile, at any point, Moses says, they can turn back to their God, who will, in his words, circumcise your hearts so that you may love him with all your heart and soul and live. Now, this is a vivid metaphor that's saying something is fundamentally wrong with Israel's heart. It's stubborn and hard. And it's the same thing wrong with the heart of all of humanity. This is going all the way back to the rebellion in the garden. Humans seized autonomy from God. They wanted to define good and evil for themselves, and they ruined God's good world as a result. But one day, Moses says, God is going to do something to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly listen to and love God from the heart and be led back to true life. And this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the hope for a new heart. So Moses ends his speech with a poem of warning and then of blessing, and then he walks up onto a mountain and he dies. And so the Torah draws to a close. All of the major plot tensions of the biblical story are in place, but left totally unresolved. So when is the descendant of the woman going to come and defeat evil? Or how is God going to rescue the whole world and bless all nations through this family? And how can God's holiness be reconciled with people who are continually rebellious? And how is God going to transform the hearts of his people? You just have to keep reading to find out. But for now, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. And so I'd like to just continue on that uh, note of um, unresolved tensions in terms of uh, Deuteronomy 20 and Deuteronomy 21 today, um, up to 28 uh, on Friday. The first one is to do with uh, Deuteronomy 20 is, is concerning warfare or military uh, issues. And I really thank God that I will dwell more on what I understand of the military in terms of preparation, in terms of obedience, in terms of how to function as a soldier. Um, because at the end of the day, you are a soldier, right? You're a soldier in the army of the Lord, whether you like it or not, right? You're conscripted, whether um, you, know, you, you asked for it or you didn't ask for it. By accepting Christ in your heart and you know, you pretty much endorse yourself as a member of uh, the army of the Lord. And so with Deuteronomy 28, what it does is it, it offers instructions as what warfare is all about. And when I remember my, uh, in my days, 
my days and my continued days as, as it were of be, being in the military is you have to have a commander, right? Um, with the commander is everybody has to be subservient to that commander, but between you and the commander are different leadership leaders. And our commander in this sense of, you know, the New Testament or, or as we are Christians today, our commander is God, Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that means that we have to trust in the commander. In other words, the commander does the donkey work in terms of figuring, figuring out whether we should go to war or not, or whether we should go to this place or not. So we have to trust in God in terms of the fact that he's done homework or as our commander, he's done his homework and seen that this is the best way for us to go as, uh, as a military or, as, uh, or as, as a unit. And that's in verse one. In verse two to four, there's a command to encourage people before battle. In other words, pep talk, you know, those of us who are familiar with uh, the sports uh, world, you, you realize that some of the folks there, you know, you have to give a pep talk to the, uh, uh, the sports folks so that they are able to function well. So pep talk is critical. And prep, pep talk to me, I, I, I would equate it to perhaps what the pastors have to offer or the preachers have to offer on a Sunday. You know, that's pep talk to me from a military perspective. In other words, you're encouraging people to continue serving God, to continue worshiping him, to continue being part of this uh, militaristic enterprise that God has put us in. And that's in verse two to four. In verse five to nine um, is, an is, is an effort to, and by the way, what I'm gonna do is at the end of the day is pretty much give you um, all the stuff that I've worked on so that you can read extensively. So maybe just right now, I'll just give you a separate uh, document that gives you all, all your uh, references. Verse five to nine is, is, is how to shrink an army so that it, it's more effective. In other words, there's a trimming that God does in our lives where he trims us so that we are healthy to get out there and fight and then the instructions when you get to the battle. Um, and one of them is offering peace, which is in, in verses 10 to 11. And then at the same time, it's like not just offering peace, you're there to conquer. So the instructions are that much as you are an instrument of peace, you're there to conquer. through siege and battle. In other words, if you look at uh, the New Testament and the correlation is with, um, I'll give you all the scriptures that are related to um, spiritual warfare because that's the correlation between the New Testament. Uh, if I read Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And therefore, we are admonished by Paul to put on the whole armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And that's how we are able to destroy the enemy is by putting on the right things. In other words, 
the first thing that you ought to do is listen to the instructions of the commander, or we call them the COs, the command authority, uh, uh, um, command orders. And after listening to what the commander has to say, you've got to prepare yourself in terms of, okay, how do I uh, achieve what the commander has said? How do I achieve the commander's intent? intent? And it's by dressing in the right manner. It's by obeying what he has said. And it's by offering peace. And it's also by being encouraged to continue fighting on. Don't quit as a Christian. Keep fighting on. And salvation, um, uh, actually, actually, before, before that, I think, I, th I think, I think con conquering is also a good thing to look at in terms of the fact that we are to con uh, actually conquer the Canaanites. We are actually to conquer the enemies out there. In other words, our job is, is not just merely to uh, be there as, you know, uh, spectators within the military it's it's it, it you're there to conquer you're there to take over what the enemy has taken and in our lives um as, as someone was saying earlier on um the enemy is fond of taking our joy the enemy is fond of taking the beauty that god has provided unto us the enemy has destroyed some of our lives uh with the canker worms and it's up to us to go back and take back what that which is ours. In other words, to conquer is to take back that which belongs to us, is to take our land back, is to take our dignity back, is to take our humanity back, is to take our joy back, is to bring back into our families what God intended for our families. So that's very critical in terms of the conquering aspect of things as Christians. And even to these folks that were there in those ancient days. And in terms of salvation, it's interesting that um, Deuteronomy 20 talks about the command to save trees for food during a siege. Um, in other words, when you go out there to fight, um, you, you're there out there in the forest, you're out there, imagine yourself in the forest or in a place where uh, you don't have the amenities, uh, you don't have uh, electricity, you don't have the beauty of your home or the beauty of your bed. You're there with the natural. And to be in that, in that context of things, you have to learn how to use that which is natural, that which is there. Um, like for us in the military, what we do is sometimes we, we have what we call hoochies. A hoochie is a fly sheet, like you... <laughs> Um, is a fly sheet that you go with. And that's, that's going to be your bedroom. That's going to be the thing that you put over your head so that the elements don't uh, get on you. So if it's snowing, it's your hoochie. And you use the trees uh, to tie the hoochie so that you can cover yourself. And you don't sleep. You have to know where your boots are. You have to know where your clothes are. You have to know where your friends are not friends in the sense of friends, friends, but it's like your co-soldiers. So in other words, in the military, it's not, it's not just about yourself, all right? It's about the people around you. Like I remember I goofed one time when I was, um, when you're simulating one, one exercise. Um, I knew that the enemy was coming. So the, the enemy began firing shots and everything else. And then we were told where to go. 
And so I went there and I was the first guy there. And I thought that I had done the most wonderful things. You know, I was the first in line. You know, I knew where my boots were. I knew where my clothes were. Uh, I, would, I was able to pack my fly and disappear. And then I was told, well, where are your, where are your buddies? I'd failed in the mission because I didn't know where my buddies were. I, I thought it was about myself. In the Christian walk, it's not just about yourself. It is about others. You need to bear each other's arm, uh, burdens. And, and that's why I like the prayer that the prayer request that came forward in terms of, um, please help me. I, 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 would, I would like my, 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 my loved ones to be uh, changed in terms of their uh, uh, tendencies towards drugs and stuff like that okay so it's about caring for each other it's not just about yourself deuteronomy 21 because i've only got five uh, minutes um, uh, that's the next slide if you will lease it's about laws um, i teach ethics in the military okay i've taught ethics in quite a few countries in spain and um, spain spanish military um, the U.S. military and, uh, God, I forget, some of the European countries I've gone to. And one of the things that I've realized is that there are two typical systems of uh, that coincide with legalities. And I teach ethics, okay? One of them is about the legal aspect of things. In other words, this is the law. I don't care what you're saying, do it. And I'm thinking that most of us as Christians have understood this concept of you know what this is the law in other words you've heard of the word legalism but then there's another coin a side of the coin in terms of the ethical aspect of things of the legal systems where it's like hey wait a minute let's talk about this what's for the greater good so so in other words that's a utilitarian model of, of doing things in other words you're not just thinking about the law you're also thinking about well what's better for other other people like when jesus came the pharisees were so much into the law um you know like if you remember things like um uh, or, or, or situations where uh, there was a man who was um, beaten up on the road and one of the uh the pharisaic leaders walks by and because it's legal system for him to continue and do the job or the task that's ahead of him, he forgets that what's, what's, what's for the greater good? Like, even if I'm late for a meeting and I save an individual from being beaten up or I save him from the realities of life or the miseries of life, would I have done a good deed? So th those are the tensions that you find within God's legal system is the tension between what is the law in terms of do it and what's good for the public or for the rest of the people. So those are tensions that we live with on a daily basis. So in Deuteronomy 21, uh, the various laws that are discussed, one of them is the law of unsolved murders or murdering, killing or maiming an individual. Um, and I would suggest that this is not just blood being spilled, but it's also when you murder your brother to, through insults, through verbal insults, where you murder others through the way you look at them, the way you demean uh, uh, their conduct. 
So in Deuteronomy 21.1, if anyone is found slain, lying in the field in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is non, not known who killed him, there's a process by which atonement is done. In other words, atonement for a, a, a murder polluted land, atonement for a world where there's so much sin, we have murdered each other, we have killed each other. Um, I, I was in a church uh, where, quote unquote, we murdered, I don't know, 14 pastors in 14 years. In other words, we hired 14 pastors and we were, we got rid of them in 14 years. I look at that as murder. In other words, we were not able to look at them and be able to help them in terms of getting, bouncing back and being able to be part of the system. And so the, the um, uh, Deuteronomy continues, uh, it's in verse two uh, onwards, that it says that then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. And it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer which has not been worked and which has not been pulled with a yoke. In other words, it's the person that's nearest to that individual that's been murdered, quote unquote, that it's his or her responsibility to go and help them. In other words, um, I don't know if you were able to um, look at some of the footage where Salman Rushdie, um, uh, he, he's an author, um, and uh, he was just about to give a speech on the artistic values of being able to, to write as, as, as an author. Um, uh, Salman Rushdie, you know, his famous book is The Satanic Verses, where he, he goes against the grain of, of Islam. And so you look at that incident and you look, look at the footage and it's like everybody who was close to him ran over and tried to help and get rid of the knife that was in that hand, in the hand of that person. And they did help save the individual because right now he's able to at least, uh, he's been taken off um, um, some, some of the medical stuff that was he was on and he's able to talk and it'll take him a process, but it process of time. But what I'm saying is that the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities, in other words, if you're in close proximity to someone who is hurting, help them. If God has put you in a position where there's someone who's bleeding, help them. Like there was a man who uh, was in tears. Um, he was saying that I had a handkerchief and all that I could do was put it on uh, uh, the place where the blood was coming from, his neck, his, his face. In other words, to stop the bleeding. In other words, what I'm saying is that even you as a Christian, when you hear this calamity in the city, the distance between you and that person is critical. If you hear a pastor is hurting, get close to them and be able to be the first person to help them. If you hear your brother and sister's hurting, be the one that, that's there to help them. And then um, familiar issues. These are laws that are familiar, uh, that are uh, concerning the family and the home. When you go out to war against your enemies in verses 10 to 14, 
and the Lord your God delivers them into your hand and you take them captive and you see among them uh, the captives, a beautiful woman and desire her and would take her for your wife, then you shall bring her home to your house and she shall shave your head, she shall shave her head and trim her nails. In other words, respecting that which is not familiar to you is, is, all, is, all, is, is critical. In other words, even if that person isn't of your blood, it is important that you take care of that individual. Inheritance. Those of us who have reached a tender age, you suddenly realize that, oh my goodness, um, that which I own, I have to leave it to someone. The shoes that I have, I got to say who's going to take them. The car that I have, I have to give it to someone. Or the house that I have, I have to give it to someone. It's important for you to be able to um, protect that, that which you would desire to be part of your inheritance. And being part of the inheritance process, you suddenly realize that they're rebellious children, which means that you've got to tame them. You have to understand that much as our son is stubborn and rebellious and won't obey our, uh, your voice, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And then it's interesting that uh, scripture talks about the fact that uh, when this occurs, then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones so that you shall put away the evil from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. That's in um, Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. And then finally with suicide um, is the issue of the curse upon one who hangs on a tree. Um, that's verses 22 to 23. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you shall not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. And that's quite fitting in terms of Christ, right? Uh, where you now suddenly see that what, you know, the tensions between, did he deserve death in terms of the legalities of death? Um, but he was certainly put to death. He was hung on a tree, but his body did not remain overnight on the tree. He died quickly for you and I. C'est tout. Thank you for joining us today. Have you ever joined one of our live online Bible studies? When you become a HeartStrong member, you will have access to all of our live Bible studies. These studies are amazing because we get to do it together. We listen to the teaching and then we spend about 30 minutes discussing what we have learned. You will hear powerful testimonies, insights, and questions and prayer times from people like you and me. We would love to see you there. Visit heartstrong.life and click membership to join. And we look forward to seeing you at one of our live online Bible studies soon. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples together.